Greetings and felicitations and welcome to the next episode of the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Well, today is Saturday. It is June the... Ooh, what is today? June the 6th. Yes, of course. How could I forget? June the 6th. It's the 75th anniversary of the invasion of Europe. On this day in 1945, the United States Army, in conjunction with the French, the Canadians, and the Brits, staged a massive invasion of the coast of France at Normandy. Thousands and thousands of men, thousands of ships, and hundreds of airplanes dropped soldiers all over the coast of France, and we engaged the Nazis for the first time on their own turf. The first few hours were very harrowing. We lost a lot of men. But we established a foothold on the beach, managed to push the Nazis back, and the invasion of Europe had begun. The days of the Third Reich were over. It was just a matter of time. Forces led by generals like George S. Patton, Omar Bradley, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and many, many others would lead to victory when uh, Germany finally surrendered in May of 1945. Victory in Europe Day. So, it's funny that I mentioned that and I bring, I, this is my topic today. I was watching a television program yesterday and they were talking about all the civil unrest going on with the protests in the uh, memory of the killing of George Floyd back in May by the by uh, several Minneapolis, Minnesota police officers. Peaceful protests started and broke down into anarchy as people threw Molotov cocktails, beat and assaulted cops and caused thousands of dollars in damage, burned out thousands, hundreds and thousands of businesses all over the country. It started in Minneapolis, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, San Francisco, California, Colorado, almost every state, even here in my hometown, San Antonio, we had a peaceful protest that ended up in a violent demonstration and the shattering of much, much glass. So I'm watching a program and the narrator or the expert is talking about something that I found very, very disturbing. Because one of the things that that the protesters have brought, and it's funny that if you stop and think about it, they brought these demands up almost in unison. And one of the demands was the defunding or the deconstruction of the police in all the major cities, actually in the entire country, to combat police brutality on the minorities. Okay, that's all well and good. And this is what I say on that, on that note. You want to defund the police? Fine. Tell the police to stay home for one month. Tell the dispatchers to stay home for one month. And you watch how this city will come unglued so quick because there are no police around to protect anybody. Rape, murder, assaults, 
vandalism, break-ins, theft will go up exponentially by defunding the police. Look, I'm not going to say all cops are great. I've had my own run-in with the cops when I was 19. I had a run-in with an Alamo Heights cop that I thought was going to shoot me because I was a Mexican kid in Alamo Heights at 1 in the morning when I, in his opinion, had no business being there. Because in his words, this was for righteous white people, Alamo Heights was. And I was a dirty Mexican from the south side and I had no business being there. And he kept thumping at his gun. I'm on Broadway in deep in Alamo Heights. There's nobody around. He could have killed me and made up whatever story he wanted. And it probably would have flown. This was 1979. So, I'm going to say not all cops are good. 95% of them probably are good, upstanding citizens who believe in what they're doing. And that is policing us from ourselves protecting us from ourselves actually is more correct but let me get back to what I told you I heard the defunding of the police almost came some, it's just like each one of these groups had their own psychic connection to each other and came up with that one fascinating rule the defunding of the police departments and this is the point that this individual, this, this expert pointed out. He said, go back to 1969. And if you're under 30, you're probably never going to ever heard of these people. But I remember them because it was my era. The Weather Underground. Remember them? Weather Underground was a group that was dedicated to the overthrow of the United States Imperial, U.S. imperialism. Their goal was to make the United States a communist, unequal state. They never really say communism, but if you read the manifestos for the Weather Underground, communism is like every other word. Communist manifesto, communist ideals, commie, commie, commie. Scary. And as I'm listening, this expert mentions two people. AOC... I forget her first name, but it's Octavio Cortez. She's a congressman from New York. She's the mouthy little gal from New York that nobody really likes. She's part of the, 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 of the squad that opposed Trump. The other one is Elon Omar, another congressman from, I believe, Minnesota. That's her home state. These two chicks have embraced what they consider far-left ideals. But if you read the Weather Underground's manifesto, they're not far-left ideas, they're communist ideas. These are new, old ideals. And if you read the Weather Underground's manifesto, it's about the complete takeover of the U.S. federal government, all the hospitals, all the schools, to make them one and equal. But if you know anything about history, and you know, if you know communism, communism has never been equal. There are people that lived in Russia that will tell you that place sucked during the rule of the Tsar and everybody else that came along, Lenin, Stalin, all these guys. Unless you were at the top or, or a party uh, apparatchik, you lived in squalor. You lived paycheck to paycheck if you had a paycheck. You lived in long lines for a loaf of bread. If they ran a bread, you had to go home. Otherwise, the soldier would come out. 
No police soldier will come out and beat you, beat you to a pulp and send you home. This is communism. And if you ask anybody in China, they'll tell you the same thing. Communism sucks. Because there are 2 billion people in China. Almost 1.5 billion live in poverty. There are ca it's a caste system. Those that have it, then they have nots. So the Weather Underground, if you read their manifesto, was actually trying to change the United States into a communist company or a country. I know it sounds far-fetched, and you're probably saying, damn, Ben. No, it can't be, but it is. If you Google the Weather Underground and Operation Prairie Fire, you can read it yourself. They tell you how to take over a government. They were, they were the the Weather Underground was actually a group of about six college kids that had very liberal professors at their schools who leaned toward the communist agenda. They formed their own student union. It was called the S uh, SDS, Students for a democratic society. The fact is, democratic meant communist. And so, a lot of these students started brainwashing other students, and then as time went on, these students became professors themselves, teaching the same liberal manifesto to their students, probably your kids, if you have kids in, in college or have graduated from college. One of the other manifestos is that the, the creation, there, there are six points in Operation Prairie Fire. One of them was for uh, the education of the proletariat in the ways of communism, how to overthrow the current existing government through actual uh, tragedies like we had with George Floyd. But the Weather Underground was in a perfect position because they were operating in 1969 right at the time when all the riots were going on because of the, of the Vietnam War and if you read the manifesto Vietnam figures very prominently uh, in, in how to do things this was written back in 1969 Operation Prairie Fire never really got put into existence but the ideals are still there and they're being read by people like Ilan Omar and uh, Octavio Cortez these are people in our government working for us, trying to push a, a, a communist agenda. And these are the people that are supporting Joe Biden. And Joe, bless his heart, he has no idea what's going on. So they're going to push and prod until they can get what they want. you got to make a difference in November. I'm not saying if you don't think Trump is the best candidate but he's going to be your best option. Oh, that's another thing they were talking about on this program. If Joe Biden is elected president of the United States, all the jobs that Trump brought back are going to go back to China and all the other countries they came from. And you're going to see the unemployment rate shoot up exponentially again. So, this is your government at work. These are the Democrats embracing ideals that are 45, 50 years old, and they're communists. Go Google 
the Weather Underground, and then look for Operation Prairie Fire, and you read it. You decide what you think is right, and you're going to see a lot of parallels to what's going on. Because another one of their their, uh, their points was the creation of of not communist, but outside agitators like the Black Panthers were one that they they promoted. LGBT communities another. All the other little little organizations that for the support of minorities, people from across the border, illegals, are all supported by the Weather Underground. Now, if you don't remember the Weather Underground, they were responsible for a lot of bombings. They were responsible partly for the violence during the Chicago riots at the uh, Democratic National Convention in 68. Of course, all the troops coming home from Vietnam. What happened was the FBI started investigating the Weather Underground and actually made headway into the investigation. They found out who the majority of these guys were. And they slowly fled the country. They went to Canada. They went to... A lot of them went to South America. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Does that sound familiar? Honduras. Nicaragua. All these countries that eventually during the 80s would have problems with communism. So, I put it out there. You can take it for what it's worth with a grain of salt. But I'm asking you to Google the Weather Underground. Read Operation Prairie Fire. And they have pictures of guys like Che Guevara. And I'm not saying Che Guevara was a bad guy. Che Guevara had very good ideals. He wasn't a true communist. That's the reason Castro had him murdered. Because he wasn't a true communist. He believed in equality for all people. But Fidel Castro believed in a total communist agenda, which means one man at the top, and Che Guevara wasn't going to be that man. So he ended up, and you can look it up too, he was murdered. It doesn't come out and say by Fidel Castro's men, but he was he was in a hit squad that came out and got him. All, of course, all this happened back in the 60s and the early 70s, so many of you are too young to remember this. But look it up. The facts are there. And when you see Uncle Joe on the TV and you see Ocasio-Cortez or Elon Omar telling you how good their left-wing ideals are, it's not left-wing, it's communist. Communism is alive and well. We never defeated it. We put it in its place and we kept an eye on it, but it's out there and it's waiting to come back. All you have to do is vote for the wrong person. And you'll be having a force to learn Russian or Chinese, one of the two. All right, well, that's enough of that. Uh, I've said my conspiracy theory for the week there. You decide. And if you think I'm full of crap, well, okay, then that's that's fine. But it might be a little bit of truth to what I'm telling you. Look it up. These are the Chairland Chronicles. I'm your host, Ben Hur, and we'll be right back. Thanks for sticking around. back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Well, I think this segment, I'm going to take some time and get back to what I originally made this podcast for, uh, which was about my life uh, on dialysis. And maybe somebody close to you, you know, is on dialysis also. 
this might help you out too to understand them a little bit better. Okay, well, uh, last episode I mentioned uh, two milestones in my life. The first one was graduating on May the 28th, 1978. And then two days later, my joining the Navy and taking the oath at, uh, on the 30th of May and getting shipped out to Recruit T- Training Center in San Diego and then getting out six years later. There was another milestone that I didn't mention, and you know what? I completely forgot about it myself. But this is t- 2020. My other milestone is that I've been a diabetic for 10 years. I was originally diagnosed in 2010 when I got sick and I had several symptoms. Some I'm not going to go into, they're a little disgusting. But, uh, so I've been a diabetic for 10 years. I've been on dialysis for two years and uh, two months. And there are some people at the clinic, my clinic, that have been there 10, 12 years. And the other night I was lying in bed and I was thinking about my life. And I honestly said to myself, and actually I was talking to God, I think I've got maybe 10, 15 on the outside, if I'm lucky, years left. I don't fool myself. I can go tomorrow. When you're in my position, you cannot fool yourself. I mean, I've lost too many people in my clinic. And uh, let's see, it's been two years, two months. I started out at the Rosa Verde Towers and transferred over to San Saba, which is a couple of blocks. But at Rosa Verde, I lost about four. I never really knew them. I knew who they were, but we never got close enough to talk. And since I've been here at San Saba, I've lost one, two, three, about six more, so that's a total of about ten in two years. Our lifespan is shaky at best, simply because uh, the things they don't tell you about dialysis. One of the things that dialysis and diabetes do to the human body is they affect the heart and the eyes and the lower legs or the lower abdomen. I have what they call neuropathy of the feet. I have extreme distress in my ankles. It sometimes feels like I can't feel my feet at all. And every year they perform the test where they stab my feet with little needles to tell me if I can feel it. I'm at about 60% feeling. And there are some areas in my, my toes which I can't feel. So, that's not good. A lot of that boils down to blood flow, which is why, oh my God, I used to, I used to just have a primary care physician. And then when 
I had the diabetes. He recommended a podiatrist. That's the that's the next step because you got to start taking care of your feet. And I've already had the scare with having to lose a toe uh, back in 2018. So I'm aware. I try to take care of my feet as best I can. Uh, the doctor, my, my podiatrist, is always telling me how good my feet look. And she goes, most diabetics, most people in my position have very bad-looking feet. And I told her, well, part of it is when I was in the Navy, in the military, they, they if it doesn't matter what branch of the service, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, they teach you to take care of your feet, to wash properly, to dry properly, to, to powder properly, to change socks often, and your shoes if you have to. And on a submarine, your feet will sweat in those steel-toed-ass boondockers that they, that they issue you. And it's kind of wish I had Crocs back then. They didn't exist, but uh, those would have been nice. So, I got a podiatrist. Now, I have two vascular surgeons looking after me. One is the total vascular care, which is above my, uh, my dialysis clinic because it's a full-service area. The doctors are upstairs. They have a full-service uh, vascular center where I'll go up there once a year. They'll put a needle in my arm just to check to make sure my access is still working and still functioning properly. We all, go, we all have to do that. It's not something you're going to get away from or get out of. And then I'm also with Peripheral Care, Peripheral Vascular Associates, PVA. These are guys that were recommended by my podiatrist when uh, I had that problem with my toe. The surgeon at PVA is Dr. Beats. He's a pretty cool guy. The surgeon at uh, Total Vascular is Dr. Butts. Yes, I'm serious. I don't like the guy, but I'm trying. I'm learning to, to have a good time with him because he's fun to mess with. So now I got him convinced that I'm after him and his kidney for me. It's a joke. I'm not. I don't. I don't. You know, he's a baby doc, and he's one of those guys that's young and still thinks he's a stud. And I don't know. Still doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. So, anyway, getting back to the issue at hand, my longevity. So I worry about this stuff. Because now I have all these doctors looking after me. And it can get a little hairy sometimes. So, I have two new chairmates. Mr. Queen on my left, who took the place of Victor, who passed away about a month ago. And Mrs. Jones on my right. She's a pretty nice lady. And we converse. And we all we have a whole slew of new faces. We have 25 more catheters. Those are the newbies, the new people. Catheters are people that have a tube inserted in their neck right around the collarbone near the subclavian artery which is where they tap into so you can be dialysized because your arm you've already undergone the surgery to have a an implant or a fistula put in 
but it takes eight weeks or a little bit longer depending on the person for that to heal properly and then be ready to be uh, used as an access point. And that time when they're ready, when the surgeon, when the vascular surgeon says, yep, your access is ready to go, you're in good health, then the clinic will start using the needles on you and they'll stop using the catheter in your neck. So then what happens is you have to go upstairs to the vascular people and they will remove the, uh, the leads from your neck and suture off the hole so you don't bleed to death. And when they do that, you are able to take a shower again. Now some of my cohorts have said that they showered even with the, uh, uh, with the uh, catheter. I didn't because I was just so afraid that I was going to get water in there and I was going to get infected. Yeah, I was a little paranoid, so I took basin baths. You know, washing yourself with a washcloth and just a full uh, basin. That's a whole lot of fun. So anyway, we have 25 new faces with catheters. That means the nurses are busy because state law in Texas says that only a qualified license RN or LVN can actually access the catheter and not the technicians. The technicians can stick us to high heaven. They just cannot put you on the machine with a catheter. They have to let the nurse do that. Don't ask me why. It's some sort of weird medical rule. I don't ask because they don't really know. They just know that's the law and that's the rule they follow. So, 25 new patients. That's a lot of people. And there's new pa- new faces coming all the time. Diabetes is a rampant disease. And I've told you before that dialysis patients eat up one-third of the Medicare budget. Now, if you want to, Google the Medicare budget, and when you get the answer, cut that into three equal pieces, and one of those just goes to, to fixing dialysis, people on dialysis fund providing them with the necessary treatments that they need three times a week, sometimes up to four hours a session. It's a booming business. And I don't tell people how to live, but when I go out and I see people stuffing their faces, you know, that's your business. I don't care. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other because nobody told me. And I was a root cause of my problems. Most of us are. Let's be honest. So, uh, I recently started using the insulin again. I I stopped because my blood sugars were really way below normal. But, uh, I don't know, I thought maybe I should get back on it just to, maybe, maybe it'll help. So, I've been using the insulin for going on two weeks now. I got a, I got a, well, I got a, a good supply, so I'm not going to run out. And uh, now I'm just waiting for a kidney. I don't know what's going to come first, my death or a new kidney. And even then, there's no guarantee because now you got to go through the whole surgery. they got to put it in you. they got to make sure it works. Your body doesn't reject it. I will be on anti-rejection drugs for the rest of my life. But I will be off dialysis. Now, I have friends like my friend Jesse Pangelinan 
who is also diabetic and also on dialysis, he does home dialysis, which is he, at his own leisure and luxury, uh, treats himself. I don't know exactly how the process works. I'm going to try to have him on the show, and we will talk about it. They've told me at the clinic if I'm interested in finding out about home dialysis. I'm like, no, not really, because I've just heard too many horror stories about it. And uh, I'll just go in every three days, let them stick me with those two huge-ass needles, and we'll go from there. I'm used to that right now. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's just my personal preference. So, uh, I do that. I've been a diabetic for 10 years. I'm still here. How much longer though that's the case? That's the big $64,000 question. We'll see. Only time will tell. Wow. 14 minutes and didn't mention the COVID virus. Or the, the George Floyd thing. Uh, I think my mind needed the break. But thank you for sticking around and listening. We got more coming at you. Stick around. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. This has been her. Thanks for listening. Stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. Hello. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And today is a test. This is a test segment for something that I've been planning to do for a while. That I think I've mastered the system somewhat of the Anchor Podcast uh, Radio. So I'm going to have my first test guest on. And this person is very special to me. But she also has a podcast of her own. And we're going to delve into some of that and uh, see how she feels about things. So welcome to the program. Uh, Laura Sanchez. Hello, Laura. Hi. Hi, Thank how are you, you for doing? having me as well, a testicle ammo. Yes, so if this works <laughs> out, this is this is why I, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. That what if I did it like this? And it does seem to work. So uh, you have a podcast and it's called Hello, Is Anybody Listening? Yes, I do. It's, it's brand new. I'm still getting my feet wet, so... We'll see how that goes. I've listened to about three different segments. I don't know if they're episodes, but they're only like about 10, 15 minutes long. But uh, uh-huh. you've got like about five or six, maybe more. And what is the basic gist of your podcast? Mental health issues, my own. And this is, as I'm listening to your episodes, I'm flabbergasted because I, I've known you a long time. 20 years. And, uh, uh, and, <laughs> and you have been struggling with this most of your life. True. And I've, I've, I've struggled with it with you as well. I mean, to the point where I check books out of the library that get me heavied up on what your condition And your actual condition is a borderline, uh, borderline personality disorder, correct? Well, no, I haven't been diagnosed with that. I've been diagnosed with borderline um, bipolar. I have PTSD. I have um, anxiety, general anxiety disorder. And there's one more, and I can't remember what it is. Okay, so with all that, 
you your life is pretty can be pretty tumultuous because there, there are going to be mood swings and uh, attitude shifts and like, yes. like I was listening to your one of your episodes yesterday that you can go from zero to 60 in a, in a millionth of a second yes and that has to be very very traumatizing for you because you're probably very traumatizing very, for people around me too my well, close my loved ones because yeah. it's not I don't do this at work it's just in my personal life. How come you don't do it at work? Because work is my salvation. That's my safe place. Ah, you know, okay. it's easier for me to get along with people who are not, people that I'm not related to, so to speak. Hold on one second. Is it because it takes your mind off what your mind is, is doing? And exactly, okay. because like I've always said, an idle mind is a devil's playground. So if you have an outside focal point, that takes away a lot from you. Your mind just just turn it and turn it and turn it. Yeah, because I'm throw myself into work, and it's a great distraction for me. So when the workday is over. Does it, does it all come back to you the minute you get in your car or the minute you get home or? Um, it depends on my situation, you know. I mean, if everything's going okay in my life, then I'm fine. If it's going through some stuff, then yeah, it hits me as soon as I walk out the door and get in my car. Sometimes as soon as I'm in the car, my tears are already forming. So, so it does give you anxiety? I wouldn't say anxiety, just very sad. Do you feel the changes coming on, or do they just, all of a sudden, you find yourself right in the middle of it? I can feel them coming on. And there's nothing you can do about it, is there? No. Because, no. Because it becomes Once a beast. Once I feel that wave, it's just... Because it, become, it becomes a beast with its own mind. Exactly. Wow. And so... It's, it's hard to explain. I mean, you've, 
unfortunately have caught the breath of it. Yeah. I'm but, a people pleaser. But you, you see, the, the thing is, like, with, with, with me, I was determined to find out why. Because if you've listened to my show, you know that I've been plagued by mental illness for most of my life with my father. And uh, just it just seems I cannot get away from it. I always I end up attracting the people that got something wrong with them all the time. I, I can I can be in a in a doctor's office and I'll end up sitting next to the guy that just starts talking to the air. And and I'm like, okay. You know, it just, it just, that just seems to be my thing. Uh, besides of that, having my own personal problems, I, I have, I suffer from uh, not bipolar depression, but I, I will get depressed sometimes simply because life just becomes a little bit too much for me. I have had suicidal tendencies, but this is mostly because of the PTSD, which I got after I got out of the service, which I'm, I'm trying to rectify that. And they've told me you may have to sit in on therapy sessions, you may have to take drugs, I said, look, I'll do whatever I can as long as the VA is going to pass me and say that I got a disability that was caused by the Navy, but you ha- you don't have that kind of recourse, you have to have a good insurance policy or, or some sort of program through work to provide you with uh, some sort of therapy or any kind of, 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 uh, of help. Which I do, I'm fortunate enough to have that, but the hardest part is taking that first step because then it, I'm admitting that something's wrong with me. Now, what and what was it that made you decide that I need to come clean with this because uh, you've been holding this back for so so long? You've been sitting. Uh, on, you've been sitting like on my your daughter said, it's it's like my dad and I had a very tumultuous relationship since I was at the age, tender young age of five. And we just bump heads my entire life. Was physical, mental abuse, and I carried that with me. And then we would get into these disagreements, arguments. Sometimes we'd go days, weeks, months without talking. And then the last one that we had which was in August 1st of 2013. We had a fallout, and that was the last time we ever spoke to each other because he passed away in November of that same year. Is that a regret? So, I'm sorry? Is that a regret? Is it a regret? That you never got the chance to talk to him before he passed? Yes and no. I don't... I don't... I don't go through the same, I guess, the same grieving process as my family does with him. And I've told my daughter this, it's like, when he passed away, I was just like, I felt like, man, I was emancipated. That's very interesting. Over and over again as you're growing up, 
you were in an accident you weren't planned for, of course that sticks in your head forever. Yeah. And it's, it's messed me up, you know. And my dad and I were talking Saturday and I just broke down and was crying and she's like, you have to let that go. You're, you're, you're defining the person that you are. You're defining I can't even remember the correct word she used, but um, I'm letting him control me, even now. And I'm angry, because I never got that resolve. You know, and it's like I told her, I felt like he had the last word from beginning to end. And there's still a part of me, a big part of me, that's still angry. Yeah. And I carry that, and I have let it define me. And there's no way for you to resolve that, is there? Therapy. Yeah. Well, yeah. So now. And one of the things that I don't even think you know that ever since he passed away, he doesn't leave me alone. I dream of him every night, every single night. He does not leave me alone. Well, maybe this was the first step in order for you to shed that skin. I guess you know. I I I, I know how you feel about your dad, but also. It's kind of a, it also almost seems like it's something that your mind is doing to you just to, to pay you back. I, I don't know, I don't know if those are the right words, but I don't know if you get the gist of what I'm saying. Uh, it's very difficult because when it comes to issues of, of mental disabilities or mental problems, they're very intricate, they're very tricky because you use the term walking on eggshells around you. Yeah. Because never matter, never it ever fails. You're gonna step on a whole bunch of them and make a whole lot of noise. And that's you know, and, and I, I know I'm the same way. I, I can be just like that. I can go off the trip off the line, and it's like just the slightest sound, I, and I'm and I'm ready to go to battle station. So believe you me, I, I understand how you feel. I know where you're coming from. But now, where? Now that you're putting this out in front of you, you're getting behind it, and you're standing behind it, which is a good thing because it makes you stronger and it puts you in control of your illness. Where do you see yourself down the road? Do you see yourself ever? Is there ever going to be a chance of you getting to what we consider normal, or it's something you're going to end up having to learn to live with? And I, I don't know because I don't know what normal feels like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can say the same thing. Yeah, so I, I have no idea. I mean, you know, I'm on medication. I take one pill. It's a low dose. It takes the edge off. You know, and it, it has helped me a lot. But, I don't know, when my daughter and I get into a little tiff, which is not really anything major, it, it affects me, you know, and then... Then it become becomes major. Yeah, it... it becomes it's a little bitty snowball and the next thing you know it's like yeah. an avalanche and I can't control it because when it affects me because then you know and it could be something that you know you and I disagree on you know uh, me and my uncle disagree on you whoever and then that will trigger every thought I have about everything I've been through in my life and I can't stop it Case in point, you know, where you and I, you know, we've been through a lot. 
Yeah. You know, and I'm not gonna openly discuss. You know, we both know what we've been through, but I'm not gonna bring up certain situations. But it has affected me, and because I'm a people pleaser. Even though as screwed up as my mind is, I am a people pleaser. I don't have a mean bone in my body, despite my mental illness. You know, I'm very. Um, I think I'm very loving. Maybe on a good day, but I don't know. You are better judge of my character than I am. Uh, no, I think you're you're spot on. You are very caring. Very, I, it amazes me how you shower me with so much affection and then in the blink of an eye you're slicing me off at the knees and leaving me there to bleed bleed out i mean I, i've seen that it's- i am because i feel like like i and i don't tell this to you because i know you're fighting your own battles and i don't want to be selfish but sometimes i want your attention you know just picking up the phone and just hearing your voice just like we talked the other night and it just did a lot for me it just makes me feel like you care because when you don't I just I don't know how to explain it I I feel like a plant I feel like you water me when you feel like it and and then I start dying inside oh it's okay until you water it again and then but I don't fault you for that I mean you got a lot going on and I'm not selfish. You know I'm not selfish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, we've been through so much together. We should write a book. We need to collab and write a book. Well, you'd have to type it because I'm not good at typing. You type what, 800 words a minute? <laughs> I just got teased about that at work today. <laughs> but, yeah, but, um, you and know. also, you mentioned to me that uh, your daughter got a book just like I got a book she did and, and that's that's what that's um that's where the very, eating starts very really. pivotal moment in my life because she said that she bought a book how to deal with a borderline personality mother and when she told me that she she says she did it because she loves me because I was going through this phase for the past couple of months where I felt that she didn't love me. I felt like if I croaked in front of her, she wouldn't care. And that's part of the me- mental illness. Yeah. And it got to a point to where I convinced myself that she does not love me. She does not care about me. And these demons in my head just had me believe that. So then I would have this anger towards her and it's just a vicious cycle and it gets exhausting and I don't know if it's because she has her partner you know Michael and she has her girls and she has her own family and I think a little bit of me is it's not envious, it's not jealousy, it's nothing like that. It's because she has what I never got. Yeah. I didn't get a good husband. I didn't get to have kids with you. I didn't get to marry you for whatever reasons we went through. You know, and I'm happy for her, but 
again, it messes with my mind that I wasn't good enough because I've convinced myself of that. And um, so we went through this little tiff and then Saturday, you know, I don't know, I I don't really remember what brought it on. It had been a couple of days and then um, we just kind of started talking and then we're sitting in the living room and she's been in therapy for the past few months and it's changed her a lot. And I was even convincing myself that her dad has brainwashed her. You know, I convinced myself that, oh my god, she's so brainwashed. She believes this, she believes that. Because I, you know, all because I was in denial. And, you know, of my mental illness. And it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard to shut these demons off. And, um, so when we were talking, she said, mom I bought a book you know because I said I sometimes feel like you don't love me and you know I feel like if I died you wouldn't care she's like why would you think that you're my mom you're my mom I love you and and then she's like mom I'm gonna tell you something and then she told me about the book and I just broke down I think I was like embarrassed like oh my god my you know you had to check out a book to understand me and I I was just bawling and I said and now you know, Ruben had to check out a book to understand me. I said, and now you're checking out a book to try and understand me? I said, am I really that bad? You know, and she's like, it's not that you're bad. You know, you've had a lot going on in your life ever since I was a little girl. And you don't get the hope that you need. And then I just broke down and said, because I don't need it. And she's like, you do need it. I said, I don't. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So anyway, long story short, I reached out to my insurance to, you know, try to get some therapy sessions or what are the steps that I need to take to get the ball rolling on that. Well, it's, it's like I've mentioned to you many, many times when we've had our conversations together, it always takes baby steps. And then yeah. after baby steps, you start taking bigger strides. God, God knows I'm a firm believer in that too. The, the strides will come, but you got to take enough baby steps first. I'm scared. Yeah, of course. You know, to have to open up and be vulnerable to someone and rehash everything that went on with my in my life. And yeah. it, I'm scared. You know, I get anxiety thinking about it, so I'm thinking maybe I should up my dose of my medication to get me ready for it but here's here's the other the other side to that point. crystal did what she did i did what i did because we love you i know and we didn't do it to ridicule or to make fun or to make ourselves feel better about ourselves we did it because we care about you when so many people have some sort of mental anxiety or something and they don't know how to deal with it or how to project it or how to protect themselves then you see the guys walking on the street talking to the air or the guys are just having conversations with themselves there's something wrong and this is this is part of the problem of uh, all that we see going on with the, the protests and whatnot uh, there's, there, it, 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 it's all coming to a head but you know what I'm really really glad that you're taking control of this which is you know something that I wish you had done a long time ago but everything in its own good time you weren't you weren't going to do it till you were, you were ready and now it seems like you're ready and 
I will walk with you if you, if you want me to. I just feel like I told, I don't know if I told Crystal or maybe I just thought it to myself, I feel like my spirit animal is a turtle. Because I'm always, you know, thinking like, okay, I think I should get counseling, but maybe not. I peek my head out and then I bring it back in and then it's scary because I feel like I'm probably going to walk out of that shell. My spirit animal. And I don't know where to go. My spirit animal is on a grill at McDonald's right now. Yeah, see, I was, okay. Well, folks, you've been listening to uh, the owner. That's why I love you. You've been listening to the owener of the podcast. Hello, is anybody listening? And you know, let me tell you something real quick about your, your title. I love the title because when you stop and you think about it, because people don't really listen to people yeah. with mental illness. So, is anybody listening? Is a very good title. It has so many. It works on so many different levels. So, if you need uh, to get, if you want to get more insight about what what's going on, her podcast is on Anchor Radio. It's Laura Sanchez, if you don't mind my saying, and no, it is called Hello. Is anybody listening? I've already listened to about five different uh, segments. It's very, it's very compelling, simply because this is a person putting themselves out there. And she's telling you about her, how she feels, living with this, and yeah. raising a family with this, and trying to make her way in the world with this. It's not I easy. want to pop some popcorn before you start listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you for being uh, a guest on my, my test guest. Thank you guest. for having me. And I will have you back again and again because we're gonna do we're gonna check on you to see how you're doing. And, awesome. Uh, We'll go from there, okay? Well, all right. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. This has been her. Thanks for listening. Stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And it is Thursday, June the 11th, and uh, boy, what a day I've had. I had to get up early today to take my dog to the vet, and uh, what they were doing was a drop-off, and then they were going to take care of him. They would call me and assess, give me the assessment of what it was going to run me, and it was going to run me pretty deep because I hadn't brought my dog to the, I hadn't kept him up on a lot of things for about eight months. So he was behind in about eight shots, some blood work, uh, a full body check, and uh, he's all better now. He was tuckered out from his little adventure. He slept most of the day. And uh, funny thing is, I was chatting with a doctor, and he was giving me, you know, the assessment, this, this, this. And then the last thing he tossed in it was, he's like, Nat's getting quite podgy, because he's from Australia, so Dr. Russell. Your dog's getting quite podgy. He needs to lose about five or six pounds. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I haven't, with all the COVID and everything, I haven't taken him out and given him his walks. And so then the doc goes on to tell me how osteoarthritis is one of the biggest leading causes of pet uh, problems and one of the most expensive. So, yeah, besides trying to whip myself into shape, I got to start whipping my dog into shape. So... 
he's back home, he's safe. Yeah, it cost me a arm and a leg, but I knew it would. It was he's worth it. He, he's part of the family. We love him. So now, what I want to talk about is another event that I saw today, which I found very disturbing. It seems in Seattle, Washington, uh, a pro- uh, what started as a piece of protest turned into a bit of anarchy where the protesters occupied a police station which was abandoned by the police and have now expanded that area to six city blocks around the police station that they've barricaded the streets and according to the people that are holding the territory say that it's more of a festival atmosphere but yet they're extorting the shop owners telling them if they want to run their business they're going to have to pay money to them and they've already made demands. They want free this and free that. They want free health care, free education, free college tuition. Uh, they want the police dismantled and, and uh, done away with. So their whole thing is that it's a, it's a festival-like atmosphere with free food and free of police and freedom of speech. And if you buy that load of bologna, well, I got a whole bunch more to sell you. This is just anarchy at its worst. These are people who have occupied a city. And not, not only that, the police station that they've occupied, that the police abandoned at the behest of the mayor, uh, is their main hub for 911 service. So now, basically, Seattle, Washington has no 911 service. So if you need the police, when you call, the phone's going to ring and ring and ring. Nobody's going to answer it. There's nobody there to answer it. So these people are already doing other citizens harm. This is no longer a game. This is no longer a festival. It's it's a dangerous game. Somebody's going to lose their life tonight if they need the police or the fire department, you know, or, or there's a medical emergency. So this is the first step in defunding the police. Now, this is part of a group that are in other parts of the country cutting the heads off statues defacing uh, uh, Confederate statues and it brings me to this point we are linear beings we're born we live we die but if you look at your life it's a, it's a, it goes in a straight line you're born and you die and in the middle stuff happens to you you grow up you get married you fall in love you die, you get killed, you get hurt, you know, that's that's the life. But see, when you live, have a linear existence, you have the luxury of looking back and seeing your life and mistakes that you've made in the past and hopefully you don't make them again in the future because the future is unwritten. You can't see what happened, what's going to happen, but you can see what has happened. And one of the things about being in a linear existence is continuity. There's continuity with yourself because you remember those those moments in your life or other person's lives that you that you know very well. And such is a, the same thing with these statues, statues of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. Yes, they were Confederate generals, and uh, it serves a purpose. It's supposed to not necessarily remind you of slavery or that that we fought our brothers for four years. It's supposed to remind you of Let's not let that happen again. Let's not make that same mistake again. It's a reminder. But when you erase it, when you take it off like it never existed, 
you're trying to erase a history that's already happened. You can't change it. You, it's like I said, with a linear existence, you cannot go back and change it. If you know anything about science fiction and the, and timelines, you'll know that that's one thing you cannot do is go back and alter history because it changes a lot. When you pull one one piece of a thread of a tapestry, you're going to bring the whole tapestry down on your, upon you. So that's what these guys are doing, and it's just wrong to accuse Christopher Columbus of being the biggest genocidal maniac ever. That's not true. He was a guy that was, he was an explorer. He was like Cortez. They were explorers. They wanted to see what was out there past their nose. Now what happened later, that, that's in, inevitable. You, you're not going to stop. That's progress. And sometimes progress hurts and it's very painful for the, the losing faction. But it happens. That's the story of humanity. It's been like that from day one. Somebody takes something else from somebody else. Because that's the way we that's the way we are. We're just inherently slightly racist. You can't change that. You can try and try to make your life and the lives of others around you better, but it takes work. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of work on everybody's part. One of the other things that uh, I wanted to talk about besides them trying to erase history, you know, erasing history by cutting down a statue or removing a statue, it's like you trying to remove a tattoo. You'll get rid of it, but when you look really closely, you'll still see it, and you'll remember that moment when you got it, and that memory's going to be with you for the rest of your life. You're never going to get rid of that tattoo. Unless you actually gouge all the skin off your arm or your back or whatever and leave a really nasty scar, and either way, that's going to be a, rem a reminder of that tattoo. So you can't erase history. It is what it is. You've got to learn to live with it, deal with it, and move on. Now, one of the other things that I've noticed that these people are doing in this movement, they've created a new culture. It's called the culture of cancel, which also includes removal of statues. But now they've moved on to art. Not all art is good art. They've forced Netflix to pull Gone with the Wind, off its playlist. Gone with the Wind is a movie about the Civil War. Uh, specifically, it's about two people who are in love but not in love, and the Civil War is sort of a backdrop. And yes, there are slaves in the movie because they have uh, house people in the, in the movie with them. But they can't show this movie because they say it's a racist movie and it depicts a time in our culture which they want to forget. You can't forget. It's not going to go away. You can't erase it with a, with a pencil eraser and pretend it never existed because it's going to come back and slap you in the face, which is what is going on right now. Well, not only that, they're looking through all the music files. Pull this song, pull that song. That song's racist. They're doing it to television shows. They're doing it to cartoons. If you haven't heard this by now, well, this is going to break your heart. Looney Tunes, you know, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, have not have been affected by the, the, the culture of cancel. They forced Looney Tunes to remove the gun out of Elmer Fudd's hand. The shotgun that he's going after Bugs Bunny with. 
Oh, you wasquewabbit. So, also, they've also removed, they've also taken away Yosemite Sam's sickness guns. Oh, you varmint. So, now what? But you know what? They did replace the shotgun with a Sith, as if a Sith, and if you don't know what a Sith is, it's a big-ass knife. It's, a, it's the blade that death carries around. That's a Sith. They did give the Sith to Elmer Fudd, so he's carrying that around instead of the shotgun. But you know what? To kids, it doesn't matter. It's still funny. They're the, we're the, uh, adults are the only ones that get this. Kids don't. Because kids, as I've told you before, they don't know what racism is. We teach it to them. And we teach it to them either in a good way or a bad way. And nine times out of ten, it's in a bad way. But anyway, they're pulling cartoons now are being affected. Who's next? Scooby-Doo? Josie and the Pussycats for wearing those short, short outfits? This is a culture of hate. If you don't see that, but they disguise it with, we don't like this and you better not like it either. Otherwise, you're going to have to answer to us. Well, that's not democracy to me. That sounds like communism. And I've told you about this before. This is These are all... Go, go back to the 1969 Weather Underground Movement where it was a direct attempt to overthrow the federal government and in place put communist values. You may think I'm crazy and that's fine, but one thing I do know is that those that ignore history are bound to repeat it and we're repeating it once again. A lot of these protests, with all due respect to George Floyd, are no longer about George Floyd. It's about people trying to tell you this is the way we want to live and if you don't like it, well, you're going to be eliminated. Sounds like hate to me. I don't know what it sounds like to you, but it's not democracy. It's not love. It's not peace. They say in the Seattle that they want it to be more of a commune kind of lifestyle. No cops. Everybody's happy. But you know what? They tried that once back in the 60s. It didn't work. Because at some point, humanity got in the way of trying to be peace and loving, and people started fighting amongst themselves. Good old humans, you can't, you can't, you can't beat it out of us. This whole movement is BS, if you ask me. Give it back to the cops. Let the people go back to their homes. You're basically holding these people hostage that don't want to be there. You're forcing them to be there to be open and give away free food. You're, you're stealing. You're forcing somebody to steal. By the by, saying you're giving it away is not that. No, it's not. That's theft and extortion. And you guys are very, very wrong. It's just a shame that I've got to live through this again. So everybody else in all these other cities, stand down, please, because this is ridiculous. We are supposed to be the beacon in this world of what it is to be free and you're trying to enslave a whole generation simply because you don't like what's being served well there are ways to change it it's called through the vote and if the vote doesn't go your way well guess what that's too bad but it'll come around again and again and again and you you will do it till you get it right you don't take over something because because you're an angry child act your age not your shoe size Wow, okay. Well, 
I'm going to cut it now because I think that's pretty much all I need to throw in there. That concludes this episode of the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Uh, very excited about this episode. I had my first guest. You go, you've probably already heard that segment. And I'm going to have more and more guests on. Uh, I'm going to get better at this. And I hope you're enjoying it. And I welcome your feedback. Once again, you can reach me at crackglass60 at Yahoo. Or if you're on my Facebook, if you read my blog, The Chairland Chronicles, drop me a message there. And I will get it, and I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. All right? Well, once again, thank you for listening to The Chairland Chronicles. And I want to thank the people at Anchor Radio for putting my podcast up and getting me many, many listeners uh, across the spectrum of podcast services. Uh, Overcast, I'm on. Spotify, I'm on. Realcast, I'm on. And about three others. So, uh, thank you for sticking with me. And I hope to bring you more fun listening in the future. And as always, as I close every episode, live your life in peace and harmony. Live it to the best extent possible. And uh, have a good time doing it. Laugh at everything around you because laughter is the best medicine. And laugh at yourself. Show a little humility. Laugh at yourself. And love everyone and everything in this wonderful world that we live in. It's not always pretty and sometimes it's ugly, but it's the only world we got. And love yourself. Tell yourself in the morning that you love you and tell yourself at night that you love you and you'll be a lot better off for it. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Ben Hur, and I will be back with another exciting episode of the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Ciao, Bella.